Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news show from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm reporter Tyler Orton, and all week we've been exploring the current state and the future of transportation here in British Columbia, and I don't think we can really have a discussion without taking into account public transit, especially as we consider how we're trying to reopen the economy here in British Columbia. With us today to offer some insights, it is TransLink CEO Kevin Desmond. Kevin, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the program today. My pleasure, Tyler. So uh, just an absolutely unprecedented time, I I think, for all transit agencies across the world. But for you, how have priorities shifted since the outset of the pandemic, pandemic, I should say, to where we are right now? Oh, well, uh, you know, of course, it's been a huge shift in priorities. But then again, they're, they're still the bedrock. We're still operating buses. We're still operating our trains and C bus and and handy dark, but we're operating in, in unusual and, ex- and very extreme circumstances. And the, the arc of those circumstances, of course, have, have shifted from uh, the March, April, May period where it was absolute crisis management, where, you know, the phraseology I've used, we had to um, uh, invent, uh, innovate and create constantly. We're trying to just figure out we were not getting guidance. We were learning from what other folks in the world, whether in Asia, Europe, in the United States, where COVID hit a little sooner, what they had done to adapt. Clearly, we had to do things to protect the health and safety of our employees and our customers. So those first few months was just trying to uh, figure out how to do that. We've now moved with the BC uh, reopening that started in May. Uh, we moved from the intense crisis management. We got some signals from the, from the province that they would help us uh, financially. So we didn't have to worry about layoffs and major service cuts. And we could start moving into, okay, the next phase of of the crisis, which still was very much focused on what is our safe operating action plan. That kind of culminated last Monday with the imposition of mandatory uh, masks. And we're going to have to continue to do things to restore the trust and confidence of our riders, not just in our industry, you know, our airline industry, for example, same thing, the cruise ships, uh, cruise ship industry. Uh, for example, how do we all get our customers back over time? And clearly, they're going to have those customer base, uh, their market base is going to have to feel comfortable with their own um, their own health, um, using a bus, using a train, sitting on an airplane. Well, you mentioned the imposition of mandatory masks. Uh, I, I think you can share, but how has the response been from British Columbians up until this point? It's it's just been in effect for a little over a week right now. That's correct. So we, we started um, with a wearing is caring um, voluntary program in June. Uh, we know that a lot of other metropolitan regions throughout the world uh, made it mandatory. We um, Following largely the guidance of Dr. Henry, uh, we started it out um, uh, as a voluntary approach. We didn't get great uptick. Uh, maybe 30%, a third of our riders were, were wearing masks. Um, but by the time last Monday, the 24th came around, uh, I think all of our customers, the general public through, through our media uh, and marketing channels understood that it was mandatory. And as of our counts last week, uh, across the system, roughly 92% of our riders are wearing a mask. That's very consistent with what our colleagues uh, in other cities uh, have, have experienced when they've gone mandatory. So at the moment, we're pretty happy with how this is going. We're only into the second week of it, so we'll remain steadfast. Uh, to continue to uh, encourage our customers to abide with with that mandatory policy. We think it's the right thing for public health, and we think it's important for the uh, general riding public 
to for their uh, for their confidence to come back and use our system. I recall back in March, mid-March, just as the economy is going into kind of lockdown mode, I, I was on the bus and there's a lot of uncertainty about it. And just my own feeling is it was kind of an eerie experience being on the bus at that time because you just did not know what the impacts were going to be. What was your last experience like, though, riding on trends? And how has that kind of changed over the last you know five months at this point? Yeah, well, it, it's definitely strange, you know, to be on a on a system that would ordinarily, depending on the time of day you're, you're riding, would be very crowded uh, with people to, to see it um, much less um, crowded. We have some buses during some portion of the days are still pretty crowded, probably some SkyTrain during uh, the peak of the peak. Uh, but, you know, we're at about 44 percent of pre-COVID ridership uh, system wide um, on average. So there's a long way to go. So it's it's definitely a different experience, you know busy stations where you might be standing around there at Columbia Station at rush hour, for example, uh, pre-COVID and now just having a handful of people there is 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 probably an odd experience. I've got to ask because uh, you just mentioned it, you know, ridership is down. I suspect that even as the economy is reopening, there, there's some people that may have once depended on transit, that they've found alternative means, maybe, maybe they have health concerns. How do you start convincing people that it is time, it is safe to for them to begin resuming transit once again? Well, there's a couple of different dimensions. Some of the things we can be doing, but some of it is just the, the arc of the um, uh, the pandemic. And until there's a vaccine, there's only so much uh, that, that we can do. So on the things that we can be doing is, is communicating to our riders, our former riders and the general public, the, the steps that we've taken um, to uh, protect their, their health, whether it's mandated masks, whether there's enhanced cleaning um, of the buses and, and the trains, looking for innovations, um, putting um, hand sanitizers at stations. Um, the little things matter. Of course, you also have what's going on in society. You have large numbers of people like me at the moment working from home. So clearly, and while large number of people are still not going to their jobs, uh, still not going to school, um, we're, we're going to see depressed ridership. That's just uh, simply a reality. We expect that. We don't think that's going to um, largely change until um, uh, the vaccine is widely available. So, you know, usually right about now, uh, this week and next week, we'd have FS, SFU and UBC would starting, uh, starting their fall semester. And, you know, the ridership would be roaring back. Not going to have that. You know, it's online, largely online learning. Um, schools are only going to have limited um, uh, limited um, hours of, of, in, of in-person schooling. So people are staying home still. So as long as that that uh, that dimension is still in place, then we're going to see depressed ridership. I'm, we're hoping, and I remain fairly optimistic, once, the, um, once the, the, the worst of the pandemic really is behind us, uh, that we will start seeing ridership um, return. How long it will take to get to pre-COVID um, levels, that remains to be seen. You know, it, it's such an like, as we said, a strange time right now, but does it give you guys the opportunity over at TransLink to kind of rethink priorities, rethink, you know, what might be, you know, one of those big projects that seems so important, but now because of changing ridership habits, you're going to have to rethink how everything goes moving forward? Yeah, I, you know, I, I was asked those questions in April, and here it is in August, and I'm still being asked those questions, and I'll be asked those questions in December too. Those are all good questions. They're, they're natural questions. However, 
Um, we haven't changed any of our big moves. We're, we're still, you know, the big moves are funded in part by the federal and provincial government. And I believe, I firmly believe, and a lot of people in my space very much believe that, you know, during the worst of the pandemic and then the, the, the recovery period and however long that recovery period lasts, yes, ridership's going to be down. But the fundamentals that drive transportation demand and drive congestion, aren't they haven't gone away, all right? Um, I think we have, last I've seen, about 11.5% unemployment in, in BC. That's not good. It's not horrible. Those jobs, hopefully, are going to come back. General activity is going to come back. Next year, this, next, next year, this, uh, this time, we're going to be going back to hockey games, right? We're going to be going to basketball games. We're going to be going to the theater. We're going to be going to uh, restaurants and so forth. Life will return to close to normal, I believe, and therefore transportation habits and demands will largely uh, come back to normal. Number two, you've got land uses in Metro Vancouver. Those land uses largely won't change. Perhaps you'll get a little bit more pressure in the suburban, uh, push to uh, suburban, maybe away from high density. But so much high density housing is built along our SkyTrain network now. Our land use plans assume that that's where the density goes into the pre-established um, uh, urban centers. That will also uh, drive demand for public transit. And then number three is climate change. Um, we still have to, we, this, this was a high, high value um, sentiment of the general public when we were surveying for our Transport 2050 um, project last year. Climate change is a big deal. And I don't think that value is gonna change either. So we still have to find very, very sustainable solutions to the bigger problems that we're going to face. You know, I think of it as a two to three year setback on our ridership and our demand curve. After those two to three years, if I'm looking at 10, 30 years, I'm still seeing population growth in this region. I'm still seeing employment growth. I'm still seeing intense pressure on the transportation environment. So shifts, sure, we have to think about shifts. Will this future of work be permanently changed? And to what extent might that change commuting habits? We have to be mindful of that on where we move, where we make our next moves for the big investments. Well, you're talking about the future of transit and what we have to consider. One of the things that always piques my interest, though, is opportunities with regards to multimodal transportation. I'm just wondering if you can speak to some of the opportunities that TransLink has been pursuing with other organizations, what you think kind of the future holds with regards to addressing that kind of first mile, last mile dilemma that many people face as they commute. Yeah, I mean, that's that's all that was all relevant before um, COVID and is going to absolutely be relevant um, after COVID as well. I'm a huge advocate uh, as the, the head of an organization like TransLink of finding as many multimodal solutions as the market demands. People need choices. I'm a big, big believer that Kevin and Tyler, they'd like to have a choice on how I want to get around for any particular trip what's most convenient for me. And convenience is defined in a lot of different ways. So if taking the train or a bus is the most convenient, that's great. If driving by yourself in the car is by far the most convenient for, for making a trip, that's great too. If joining um, a car share network uh, and a bike share network um, works for you and you can get to, um, get to wherever you're going with that type of uh, mode of transportation, go for it. We should, we should let all of those opportunities blossom. And in so doing, I'm personally convinced that at the end of the day, that drives down the demand for single occupant vehicles. So that when you, Tyler, need to make that trip in your car, 
because that's the only other convenient way for you to get around. There's not as much traffic because other people are doing other things as well. So we want to embrace all those different features. Vancouver, the city of Vancouver, not, not the region per se, was on a per capita basis, uh, a leader in, in uh, subscriptions for various different shared transportation services. So we, we have a leg up in a, in a certain sense from a cultural standpoint and a user friendliness standpoint on, on having people that are really already predisposed uh, to doing something other than owning and driving their own car. So yeah, we want to embrace that. Um, even as, as ride hailing was just starting as COVID uh, was coming, um, we're eager to understand how we can work with the Ubers and Lyfts um, to uh, make mobility, uh, to improve mobility for the entire region uh, and not have negative outcomes. So, uh, you know, we embrace that to a degree and we want to see how we can partner with them once they uh, sort of get back on their feet as well. But it will, it, it is and will be uh, a continued important feature of our multimodal system. It's also something to consider when we think about maybe some of the financial constraints that we'll be facing. You mentioned, of course, government support. We also need to have transit working to get the economy moving once again. But if ridership is down and you know fares are going to be down as well, what considerations are on the top of your mind right now as we look, as you said, it could be a two to three year depression in ridership uh, in the coming time? Well, that, that's the, that's the um, proverbial $64,000 question, although it's, it's a lot more than that. It's a big challenge. It's a challenge that transit systems throughout the world um, are inevitably going to face. And in their different governmental environments, national or regional, um, they're going to find their own uh, solutions. So the first element of that is when uh, the prime minister announced the um, safe restart um, funding uh, for municipalities. An important component of that was transit funding. And then a week later, the premier uh, announced the funding that will be available here in, in British Columbia, which is $540 million from the federal government um, to be matched largely by the, the province. That should tide largely TransLink over and our colleagues at BC Transit and BC Ferries over into next year so that we don't have to worry about reducing services. However, that multi-year um, loss of ridership um, is going to create a big hole. In, in, our, in our budgets and creates more of a structural deficit. I don't have an answer to that yet. Uh, we're gonna spend probably next year trying to figure that out, um, but it is a challenge. Um, before COVID, 58% of our daily operating costs, the cost of putting buses and trains uh, out was covered by Fairbox. So clearly when we've lost 60%, um, 70% of our ridership, then we're losing proportionally the same in fares. That's a lot of money. And it's going to be tough to uh, make that up. We're going to have to find solutions because um, otherwise it, it could endanger the service that we have on the road today. Well, I'll, I'll leave you with this question on the minds of all British Columbians right now. You mentioned hockey games just a, a few moments ago about how they'll be resuming next year. But before you're with Sharon's Link, you're, you're from uh, King County, Washington. Are you going to be cheering for the Canucks or the Kraken in, uh, in, in the coming years, Kevin? It's going to take me a while to even get the Kraken out of my mouth. Um, you know, I don't know. I, you know, I, what I do think is it's going to be a great rivalry, you know, and I, I, I think that's going to be great for Vancouver, great for Seattle. I, I always see the, the rivalry of the, the two soccer teams uh, when they're playing either down in Seattle or, or up here in, in Vancouver. So um, I, I'm always up in sports for a good game, a good close game. And when you see the fans on both sides leaning in, it's a great thing. You know, I, and in my Seattle days, I came to understand that a large portion of the fans at Seahawks games came from Vancouver. 
So I, I think we have a great fan base in Seattle for, for hockey. Uh, and since a great fan base, obviously, for sport in Vancouver. So I think it's good for, for sport in general. So when it, it starts, I, I hope to take in some of those games, maybe on both sides of the border. I, I hope to do the same. But uh, for now, Kevin, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the program. My pleasure. Thank you. That's Kevin Desmond, CEO of TransLink. And that is it for the show today. But you can go to BIV.com for more stories and more interviews there. For now, uh, we'll be back tomorrow. But I want to wish everybody a great Thursday.